I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. It seems to me like if we wanted to stop mass shootings, we don't need to ban guns. We just need to stop having Democrat presidents and a state-run media. It's high noon for Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gab and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. You can join the discussion thread and find that by going to t.me slash I'm Reasonable. You can also go check out the merch at www.cancelcouture.com. Com. Today is the 62nd full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever exist, Hunter Biden. So congratulations, America. You really did it. You made it so that the guy you pretend to be mad about all the time was replaced by the problems you pretend to be mad about all the time. You might consider that somehow... Those problems are connected to the people you vote for. We have another mass shooting in the news. As I mentioned yesterday, while I was recording, there was a live shooter incident in Boulder, Colorado. There is another incident in Northern California that seems at this point like it may have been a false start, but... Let's see. There were SWAT teams sent to a veterans center on claims of a live shooter, but it doesn't seem like, as far as I can tell at this point at least, that a shooting incident has actually occurred. Now, the Boulder, Colorado shooting at a grocery store called King Supers or Supers King or something, very strange name, but hey, it's Boulder, Colorado. There are a lot of communists there. They do strange things. Not saying that the grocery store is owned by communists. I'm sure, they're lovely people. But the shooting was carried out by a guy named uh, Ahmad Alissa, which means we have yet another case of a non white person culturally appropriating white supremacy. So I guess. That by virtue of that, now he's white. And not a Syrian immigrant who hates Trump at all. Because we all know that anytime there's a shooting, the person must be white and must be a racist. It's hard to figure out how this one is, of course, because, you know, there is actually a social media trail of this guy on the Internet though Facebook has since wiped his profile. Luckily, there are people out there who caught on to this before they had the opportunity. But it's interesting to note that, as Raheem Kassam has pointed out, yesterday was the fifth anniversary of the Islamist attack in Brussels, which left 35 dead and 300 injured. And it was also the fourth anniversary of the Westminster attack in London, which killed six people and injured 49. And Alyssa is apparently a follower on some level 
of ISIS. And I guess that this date, March 22nd, 322, has some significance for ISIS or maybe for someone else. And it might be a good thing to look into, see if maybe there might be a group of people with some level of power who thinks that there is something special about that March 22nd date. Not saying there is, just saying there might be. Why not check it out? And Jack Posobiec just tweeted something that goes right along with what I'm saying. He's saying new information coming in that Boulder Shooter was a Syrian refugee who arrived via Obama-era asylum programs per a national security official. He self-radicalized while in the United States. And perhaps we should look at some of his radicalized views. On September 18th, 2018, he posted... Trump's such a dick attached to a Washington Post article. And of course, the National Pulse has more great coverage of this. Another on that same day, he said he inherited a growing economy and the unemployment rate was low. The economy was on an upward spiral. He won because of racism. Now, that's one of the worst sentences I've ever read. And of course, he shared a link to The Intercept, which is a remarkably communist organization. He has posts talking about the Christchurch mosque. He has posts suggesting that Jesus and Mary were Muslim. And he posts about how he's lonely and doesn't have a girlfriend. So yeah, he really just sounds like a white person, right? (laughs) So, One would expect that this incident is probably going to vanish from mainstream coverage fairly quickly. And perhaps that's good enough because it slowed the coverage of the actual pictures of the children in detainment camps along the border. But this guy doesn't in any way fit the profile of what they actually would like their shooters to be. And, you know, So many of the details of this event are not told yet and not known yet, including by people in positions of high political authority. But that doesn't stop them from reacting to it. It will stop me from reacting to it because I don't know enough to really form a solid opinion on it, except for the fact that it seems really strange. Now, I did watch some of the videos that people recorded of the incident yesterday. One of the videos in particular was really odd. A guy was walking around screaming, but like not in a real seeming way. It was like he was trying to imbue his statements with emotion and seriousness, telling people to call 911. I guess whoever might be watching on his live feed needs to call 911. It's odd that someone with a phone in their hand wouldn't be calling 911 and instead was filming bodies on the ground in and around the grocery store. He actually walked past other people who were just casually standing in the grocery store doorway typing on their phones. That's not what I would expect in an active shooter situation. I mean, if the guy's in there shooting and you're at the doorway, it seems like you should be running, not texting your friends. You know, if you are scared of what's happening inside. Now, if you're not scared of what's happening inside, then either you're an insane person or the thing that you're saying is happening inside is not, in fact, happening inside. Or you're somehow related to the thing that's happening inside and therefore relaxed. If there's another option, I'd be happy to hear it. But it seems to me like These are the only or main things that might explain someone being totally relaxed while at the door of a grocery store where an active shooter is mowing people down inside. It's very odd. It's also very odd that these people stayed in this location and had access to the footage they had, but don't actually seem to be scared 
and that they're filming dead bodies on the ground. That's what they're filming. I haven't seen anything yet that has the shooter shooting. And I guess if you can capture that footage without getting shot, you've really got some important footage. But filming people who are already on the ground doesn't seem particularly relevant. I mean, we can see those pictures later without some Joe Schmo getting us the cell phone footage, right? The whole thing is very odd. But let's go through some of the reactions here. And the first one relates directly to what I was saying before. This is a writer named Amy Siskind, who I think must be part of the LGBTQIA plus plus other letters community because she has the rainbow flag on her profile and is always saying stuff like that. I guess when you're that much a part of that community, then you are no longer white. So she wrote the shooter was taken into custody. This is last night, by the way, the shooter was taken into custody. In other words, it was almost certainly a white man again. If he were black or brown, he would be dead. Now, this is just another one of those liberal talking points that seems like it can just be recycled in any situation, no matter what. The idea that white suspects are always safely detained and sometimes even fed and treated well, whereas black and brown suspects of these shootings are always killed. I'm really confused about where this notion comes from. You know, the mass shootings that they always highlight are ones that are performed by white people, generally. They're not there in Chicago talking about the mass shooting incidents there that happen almost every weekend. Are they? I don't hear much coverage of those. We do know they happen all the time. The statistics show they happen, but they don't get much coverage because those aren't the proper narrative. Now, it's interesting that Siskind uh, capitalizes black and brown, but not white. And of course, this is nothing more than virtue signaling to other communists. But a more interesting alternate viewpoint of this situation was that she wouldn't even be talking about it if the shooter were black or brown, right? If it was a cop, for sure, it would be national news for months. And if there was any indication whatsoever that this was racially motivated, it would be talked about for months. But this was a Trump-hating Muslim immigrant who's 21 and supports the communist agenda. So that doesn't sound quite right to them, does it? But nonetheless, they can't let that stop them. So Kamala Harris was asked as she was swearing someone in because, you know, she's vice president and I guess that's what she does. Joe was probably a little tired or giving his six minute long statement about how he banned assault weapons years ago and that if everyone would just listen to him, Again, all these problems would be solved. But Kamala was asked about it, and she said, it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. It's tragic. Ten people, you know, just going about their lives. And seven of them were children. And that part just isn't true at all. The youngest person who has been listed as a victim of Alyssa is Denny Strong, a 20-year-old. Then there's Nevin Stanisich, who's a 23-year-old, and Ricky Olds, who's a 25-year-old. Everyone else in this list is 49 and up. So, seven children? Seven children. Kamala Harris... The fake vice president, by the way, the first Asian-American woman to ever serve as fake vice president, said that there were seven children killed yesterday. There are zero children. Zero. 
The seven people are over 49. Everyone is over 20. If we're now calling 25-year-olds children, then she's got three children. But she said seven children. Does she know anything? How irresponsible is that talk? What would the media do if Trump said something that wrong? They nitpicked every single thing he said. They figured out ways that they could reconstruct the things he said as lies so that they could call him a liar. And sure, he made verbal mistakes and he would exaggerate or be off in some way sometimes. That's natural. He's a human. He's also a more casual talker than most. But Trump, by and large, was telling the truth on just about everything, especially the underlying story that he would tell. He got to the heart of issues and relayed the actual relevant point of an issue. She's lying about something that is easily checkable and not remotely the same. They're just using children as cover for everything at this point. That's bananas, but it's not quite as bananas as what Barack Obama said. Barack Obama released a long, a lengthy statement today, certainly longer than Joe Biden's statement and certainly longer than Kamala babbling about tragic, absolutely tragic and children. So this is Obama's statement. Michelle and I grieve with the families of the victims of the shooting in Boulder, just as we grieve with the families of the people killed in Atlanta and everyone else who has lost a loved one to gun violence. Yes, it sounds like you're about to grieve so much. We are also grateful for the courage of Officer Eric Talley, who ran into danger to protect others, and we hope his memory and the memory of all those we've lost will not be in vain. Because in addition to grief, we are also feeling a deep, familiar outrage that we as a nation continue to tolerate these kinds of random, senseless acts day in and day out without taking any significant action. An outrage that people in Colorado have known far too often over the years. Now, that, of course, is a reference to Columbine and then Aurora. In so many ways, our lives may soon start to return to normal after a long, difficult year filled with so much loss. But in a normal life, we should be able to buy groceries without fear. We should be able to go to a school or go out with our friends or worship together without mentally planning our escape if someone shows up with a gun. We should be able to live our lives without wondering if the next trip outside our home should could be our last. Really? Well, apply that logic to COVID, Barack. We should, but in America, we can't. No, you're right. America is the most dangerous place on earth. We cannot even step outside our homes without wondering if we might die from someone getting within six feet of us or someone not wearing a mask or someone not following the science. It is long past time for those with the power to fight this epidemic of gun violence to do so. Great sentence. It will take time to root out the disaffection, racism, and misogyny that fuels so many of these senseless acts of violence. Really? We can make it harder for those with hate in their hearts to buy weapons of war. We can overcome opposition by cowardly politicians and the pressure of a gun lobby that opposes any limit on the ability of anyone to assemble an arsenal. We can and we must. Is that the problem here? Were the guns the problem here? Was racism the problem here? Misogyny was the problem here? Disaffection? Okay, I suppose that's a problem. But why so disaffected? He was, after all, a Syrian refugee who sought asylum in America and apparently was given it under the policies of Barack Obama. So shouldn't he be not disaffected anymore? I mean, it sounds like that's a major upgrade in his life, going from Syrian refugee to claiming asylum to now just chilling out in America and insulting Donald Trump on social media. A once in a century pandemic cannot be the only thing that slows mass shootings in this country. What? 
So the fact that there were not this level of mass shootings under Donald Trump was due to the once in a century pandemic. Is that what we're meant to believe here? We shouldn't have to choose between one type of tragedy and another. Oh, good point, Barack. What about the tragedies of taking away the Bill of Rights? Would those be tragic things, Barack? Things that people died for? Things that have sustained our country in the way it has been sustained over this time? Making us one of the greatest and most powerful nations in the history of the world. Seems like that would be a bigger tragedy than creating fear in society over random events, which may not be so random. You just wouldn't like what the actual causes are, like our media, like Democrat presidents, like a gun control agenda that needs fodder to change public opinion. It's time for leaders everywhere to listen to the American people when they say enough is enough because this is a normal we can no longer afford. Well, the interesting thing is it's not a normal. It's not a normal at all. And again, there were a couple of shootings during the Trump administration, but not nearly as many as there were under Barack Obama's illegitimate regime or Joe Biden's illegitimate regime. So four-term shadow president Barack Obama has now spoken. So I guess this is what it's going to be, right? I mean, that all makes sense, right? Did, did you feel your emotions tingling? Did Chris Matthews get that little feeling up his leg? That is just so weird. Marjorie Taylor Greene actually has an interesting answer about this. And she tweeted today, Colorado has everything the left has asked for. Universal background checks, red flag gun seizure laws, high capacity, in quotes, magazine bans, because, of course, high capacity is a term that they have defined and made up and now use. And it's the same as assault weapons, which... Not a single commie can define. Ask them. Ask them. They have no idea what an assault weapon is. Every single one of the people you see on social media, if you are still on legacy social media platforms, if they say something about assault weapon bans, please ask them. Just say very simply, very politely, like, hey, which weapons are you referring to? What constitutes an assault weapon? Please tell me. And which one of these guns used in these shootings are weapons of war? Because Barack Obama can call them weapons of war. But to read this more accurately, Barack Obama's sentence would say, but we can make it harder for those with hate in their hearts to buy guns. That's what he wants. He should be honest about. But the other part of this that's confusing and harms his narrative is the whole hate in their hearts part. Like, yes, mass shooters generally have hate in their hearts. But they're not focused on keeping weapons of war away from potential mass shooters. They track these things, don't they? What they really want is to make sure that normal Americans cannot buy guns because they think that a culture of guns is responsible for all of this. And they're happy to talk about that culture of guns so long as it doesn't include the actual culture, you know, the creators of culture, the media, entertainment and big tech. That's where our culture comes from. Who is radicalizing these people? It sounds to me like this shooter was radicalized by the mainstream media and by big tech and by people like Barack Obama who lie to him about who Donald Trump is. Where does his disaffection come from? I would love to hear someone ask Barack Obama that. 
No one ever will because no one ever asks Barack Obama questions except, hey, are you ready to be Barack Obama about the gun issue right now? Are you ready to be Barack Obama about the border issue right now? Oh, wait, can't ask him that. He might actually have to take responsibility for the border issue at that point. But what would taking responsibility even mean? You have to understand that they want these crises. They're not an accident. They didn't just start this policy based on the goodness of their hearts and then find out it's not effective policy. They did it because they want more illegal immigrants in the United States. And that's true for multiple reasons. One, they don't believe in borders because they want a global world. There's nothing secret about that. On the right, the Cokes of the world want cheap labor. On the left, the communists want cheap votes. And they also want to have a permanent underclass they can enslave so that the actual middle class of American citizens is no longer able to stay in the middle class. And this is what happens when you take 30 person classrooms and put 60 people in them. And then you take American children and force them to be educated in a bilingual way when none of them are prepared to do that. And when life in America doesn't require them to be bilingual. And I certainly don't mean that as a criticism of loving other cultures or being exposed to other cultures or learning other languages. All of those things are wonderful. It just isn't sustainable for building the society we're trying to build if 30-person classrooms have 60 people in them. That means that all the people who are American citizens and are taxpayers paying for their children to go to public schools are the ones being harmed by this. And of course, the teachers unions benefit and everything else. And the same motivations exist when it comes to the desire to ban firearms. They do not want the American people armed. It's not to protect other American citizens. It's not to stop mass shootings. It's so that the citizenry cannot protect itself, so that individuals cannot protect themselves, their families, and their homes. It is not just mindless chatter about what's happening in the world right now and what's happening in our own military right now. The push to weaken our military, to drain it of its resources, and to drain it of its ethical validity by convincing our own soldiers that America is a terrible, hateful place. That's not for our protection. It's not to find equity for the LGBTQIA++ whatever community. It's got nothing to do with that. It's that they no longer want America to be the military force in the world. They want to leave that to China and to the UN. Because that allows them to enact the global order they are trying to enact. You can say that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's true. So it's really just a conspiracy fact. And if you want to know how it's a fact, you can just listen to people in the World Economic Forum talk about these sorts of things. China offered military help. They offered 250,000 troops to protect the politicians in Washington, D.C., who were using our National Guard for that instead, to protect themselves. China offered troops. China runs training missions in Canada. They have troops in Mexico. UN peacekeeping missions are something everyone should look into. They're not pretty. We always think, oh, it's a UN peacekeeping mission. That's so nice that there are people there to keep peace in countries that I guess just can't protect themselves from themselves. That's what we're always told to believe about other countries. Do you think that they have no interest in pulling that model 
in America? They're trying to paint the picture that America cannot adequately protect itself from internal threats based on political divisions. That just happens to not be true at all. If it were true, why would you be defunding the police? The goal is not to create a safe America run and protected by Americans. The goal is to create a disarmed America with open borders that is run and governed by the world. America is being colonized. That is what they want. And the idea that people don't recognize this is insane to me. You have to be so detached, so comfortable in your normal life to not see what this is. And let's remember what they're doing in Washington, D.C. right now. They're holding hearings about whether or not D.C. should become a state, which is a ridiculous notion. And they're saying that it should become a state because of the number of people there, apparently. And because without statehood, then they're not properly represented in Congress. The truth is that it's just about only Washington, D.C., that's represented in Congress. I mean, sure, you know, you've got some representation from New York and California and Chicago. But by and large, the Congress and the Senate are there to serve the interests of the residents of Washington, D.C. almost entirely. They do the bidding of the lobbyists who pay them. All those people live in Washington, D.C. There is a reason that Washington, D.C. goes every year like 95 percent Democrat. There's also a reason why it has one of the highest income rates in the entire country. It's because they wield the power of the federal government and the federal treasury. They do not need to be a state, not in any way does Washington, D.C. need to be a state. It is a foreign entity right now, and it will remain a foreign entity until it becomes parts of Maryland and Virginia again, hopefully soon. Democrats want more representation. They want two more senators. There's nothing else that they want. You should watch if you have 10 minutes. Go on YouTube and search for Jody Heiss. D.C. statehood or Jody Heiss, Muriel Bowser. It's actually pretty funny. Again, the thing about these communist policies, they have to always only push them through by force because there is no rational or intellectual heft behind any of these ideas, which is why none of the people purporting to believe these ideas can actually ever explain them. And you can watch that happen. Basically, the arguments for D.C. statehood are that if they're not given statehood, then Washington, D.C. is disenfranchised, disenfranchised, which, of course, means that they're racist. So basically, it's just racist to not give Washington, D.C. statehood, despite the cascade of awful things that would happen to our country if that were to happen. This entire period, this last year plus year and a half has been entirely and only about taking power and entrenching that power and trying to use that power to give more power all the time. If there is any interest in the old guard of actually doing anything to help America, I'm not aware of where it is. It's non-existent in the Democrat Party. And there's no old guard Republican who's helping the country. Mitt Romney's not helping the country. Mitch McConnell isn't helping the country. These people are utterly corrupt. And it's unsurprising that the communists love this idea because once again, it's important to remember that they don't know anything. Now, there was an article uh, Sunday in the Washington Examiner. I didn't get to it yesterday, but I want to get to it today. Uh, the headline is public vastly overestimates risk of hospitalization from COVID-19, according to a study. And this article is by Michael Lee. Now, I read this study 
And this study actually came out at the end of last December. And the study does have some problems inherent in the study. And that's caused because, of course, it's Brookings and they take as premises a lot of things that actually aren't proven fact. Like, for instance, one of the questions, and we'll get to it, was about whether or not asymptomatic spread exists. And they cl- they uh, classified it as misinformation to say that, no, it doesn't. Now, that's not a cold, hard fact, okay? The instances of proven asymptomatic spread for the coronavirus around the world are almost non-existent. And even the WHO has admitted that, okay? Anthony Fauci, at the beginning of all this, talked about how asymptomatic spread isn't really a thing, all right? What they're saying about that simply is not true. To say it's misinformation to deny the prevalence of asymptomatic spread is itself misinformation. And so they had a a media contact uh, email on that study, and I emailed that person asking for an explanation of this. And I'm sure I'm not going to get a response, but I felt like it was important to put that forward nonetheless. So to the article. The public overestimates the likelihood a person with COVID-19 would have to be hospitalized by 10 times the actual number, a study shows. People were asked during a Franklin Templeton Gallup study, what percentage of people who have been infected by the coronavirus need to be hospitalized? And for clarity, yes, this is the same study that I was looking up that was written up in Brookings yesterday. But 35% of those asked said that over half of infected people would require hospitalization from the disease. Half. Meanwhile, only 18% correctly stated that the risk of hospitalization was somewhere between 1% and 5%. Half. These people believe that half of the people who get the coronavirus need to be hospitalized. You cannot be a thinking person with any attachment to reality and any information on any of these subjects to believe that half the people who get the coronavirus end up in the hospital. That is so mind-numbingly stupid. It's insane. This is just the media screwing people up completely. And then people, of course, not having the personal Uh, curiosity or responsibility to actually find out if the things that they're saying are true. The study's author said the U.S. public is also deeply misinformed about the severity of the virus for the average infected person. The numbers came at the same time a paper published in the National Bureau of Economic Research found that U.S. media coverage of the virus skewed overwhelmingly negative when compared to the coverage in other countries, which likely contributed to the outsized fear Americans have about the threat the virus poses. Here's another quote. 91% of stories by U.S. major media outlets are negative in tone versus 54% for non-U.S. major sources and 65% for scientific journals. 91% of the stories told by major U.S. media outlets are negative in tone. This is something I have harped on now for the entire past year. What we are getting is always and constantly the worst possible version of the reality that they're mostly making up, which is why we get story after story convincing people that there is a danger inherent in children being in school that the coronavirus presents or even a danger to teachers when there is not one shred of evidence anywhere in the world that that's true. Not one. A responsible media, an objective media, would say clearly that there is no evidence, no evidence anywhere, that children are in any danger by attending school. That is the objective, data-driven, science-based answer. Talking about separating children in school, talking about surrounding them in little plastic bubbles, talking about making them wear masks, all of that is a lie. It's all a contrivance. And they hold on to that and they amplify that. That's how we get to this 91% figure. Democrats 
were much more likely to overestimate the harms of COVID-19, according to the Franklin Templeton Gallup study, with 41% believing over half of coronavirus patients would require hospitalizations, compared to 28% of Republicans. And I would bet that 90% of that 28% are Romneys. Okay, because the problem that we have now is dividing things into Democrat and Republican. It can shed some light on a situation, but not enough. The real problem here is that people who listen only to the media will be wrong about all of this stuff. It doesn't matter if they identify as Republicans. Bill Kristol is still identified as a Republican. So is like Anna Navarro on CNN. These people are clownish communist tools that contribute nothing. They don't vote for a Republican agenda. They don't align with a Republican agenda. Unless that Republican agenda is the Paul Ryan agenda or the Mitt Romney agenda, which is really just the same old guard agenda that we always talk about. So it's almost irrelevant to call these people Republicans at this point. 41% of Democrats, 41% of Democrats think that half of the people that get COVID have to go to the hospital. This is not the smart party. Okay. We need to let that idea go forever. These people are morons. 41%. It is shameful that these people go out and vote and convince other people to vote and then go steal people's votes. That's who we're dealing with. The sort of brain power that allows 41% of those people to think that half of the people go to the hospital for a disease that literally kills 0.13 to maybe 0.26% of the people who get it. But of course, they don't know that figure either, do they? In fact, I read this post over the weekend by a moronic communist who made the point that despite all of California's closures, their death rate of, I think it was like 0.146 was statistically no different then Florida's death rate of 0.155. Both of those death rates are right in line with a flu season. Okay. And so once people started getting mad at him for making that comparison, he tried to pull that back and say, well, they both obviously did such a horrible job. And yes, of course, Ron DeSantis's policies are deplorable. But sorry, Kami, you already made the point. There was no difference. Okay. Your mitigation strategies did absolutely nothing. And that is going to be a hard thing for people to admit. The lockdowns were for nothing. The masks were for nothing. The vaccine is for nothing. Okay. Because if no one is dying, if there is no difference in the death rate between a place that has virtually no restrictions and a place that has virtually all restrictions, neither of them having a vaccine, then the vaccine can't really do anything, can it? I guess it could bring them both down slight degrees, just tinier and tinier. The death rate's already tiny. And it's so tiny that it becomes indisputably true that the human body, the human immune system is more effective against the virus than the vaccine with a 90 to 95% efficacy rate. And oh yeah, it doesn't prevent you from getting the disease and you still have to wear a mask and you still have to socially distance, but now at three feet and not six feet, even though everybody's going to keep doing six feet because they're communists and can't think, but sure, we need the vaccine. God, we really need that vaccine. Republicans were also more likely to identify the correct risk of hospitalization from the virus, with 26% answering between 1% and 5% of patients would require hospitalizations, compared to only 10% of Democrats who believed the same. 10% of them. 10% of them. By the way, this isn't even something that you have to read statistics about. 
This is something so simple that it's intuitive. You see the number of cases. You see the number of deaths. You really think that half the fucking people who get the virus are in hospitals. Every hospital in the country would have been overwhelmed for the entire last year. Instead, no hospital was ever overwhelmed. And that also is true, though they don't know it because they don't read. Literally 90% of Democrats were wrong about something that simply intuitively true 90% and they still scream about following the science and following the data these fucking communists all they do is whatever they're told these errors in factual knowledge appear to have important real world implications the study's authors noted those who overestimate risks to young people or hold an exaggerated sense of risk upon infection are more likely to favor closing schools, restaurants, and other businesses. Yup. To bring the public's perception of the virus risks in line with reality, the authors stress the need for a more well-informed public. What? Oh, the solution to being misinformed is to be better informed? There we go. Thanks, Brookings. That's genius. Perhaps you should consider that it's the communist media outlets and the communist think tanks like Brookings, despite the claims that they are somehow centrist. They're they're not. They never have been. They certainly aren't now. But the conclusion of the article is this. The most important lesson from our research is that a well-informed public freed from both exaggerated fear and trivialization of a dangerous threat is likely is more likely to support optimal policies and engage in the behaviors needed to both maintain safety and avoid unnecessary economic damage, the study concluded. Tracking the public's attitudes and behaviors on COVID-19 provides a tighter grasp of what to expect in a highly uncertain situation. Now, again, this is propagandistic nonsense, okay? The well-informed public is achieved by a responsible media and responsible consumers of information. I have had no problem finding out all the facts that they checked in this survey. In fact, I have counter arguments to the surveyors because they are factually incorrect about their presumptions and they have to be. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to say that this is a two-sided problem. They have to say that asymptomatic spread really is a common occurrence or else they wouldn't be able to call the Republicans misinformed about this. So exaggerated fear is dangerous on one side, but trivialization is also dangerous, they're saying. Well, tell me what policies have been enacted based on a trivialization of the disease. Zero. There's not any anywhere. Every single policy that has been enacted is a direct result of an exaggerated fear. No single COVID mitigation strategy in the entire country. I challenge anyone to find me one. Not a single mitigation strategy whatsoever anywhere has been a result of the trivialization of the disease. Every single one is overboard because those attempting to bring reality to the context of exaggerated fear are accused of trivializing the disease. And that's exactly what the Brookings write-up and the Franklin Templeton study both do. They assume the exaggerated fear is actually true. And then they worry that people are trivializing it while at the same time noting that the exaggerated fear exists primarily on the other side. Almost exclusively, actually. It should be shocking that 90% of Democrats have no idea how few people are actually hospitalized from contracting the coronavirus. Now, I also meant to get to this yesterday and didn't get a chance. So here we go. This is an article in Just the News by Daniel Payne. The headline is new emails heighten mystery around presidential vote count in Georgia's largest county. Media were told ballot counting had stopped. Sworn testimony says counters were dismissed. 
Again, this is one of those things that we all know, but this is good to remember. And then the Ruby Freeman like confessional posts that she wrote on Instagram have resurfaced and Sidney Powell has been sharing those. So then I'll go through that as well. But to the article. Internal emails from Fulton County election workers obtained by Just the News are heightening the mystery surrounding ballot processing in Georgia's largest county during last November's presidential contest. Uncertainty arose around regarding the ballot processing operation at Fulton County's State Farm Arena on and after election night, when ballot scanning apparently continued even after most election workers had reportedly been sent home. Two separate sworn affidavits from election night, poll workers claimed that, At roughly 10.30 p.m. on November 3rd, an official directed workers to stop working and to return the next day at 8.30 a.m. Nearly half a dozen local and national media outlets, meanwhile, reported being told that absentee ballot counting had ceased around 10.30 p.m. and would resume the next day. Several reports cited county spokeswoman Regina Waller for that information. Counting at the State Farm Arena, however, continued past 10.30 p.m. after most staffers had left. In December, Waller told Just the News that contrary to the numerous media reports, she had stated to all media that although several workers were being released to go home, a small team remained behind to assist with scanning ballots. It's unclear why no media outlets appear to have mentioned that fact. In the emails obtained this weekend by Just the News through an open records request, Waller appears to indicate that the ballot counting team had dispersed around 1030 p.m. In the email, timestamp 1022 on November 3rd, an address to several county officials as well as State Farm Arena spokesman Garen Narayan, I think, Waller wrote, quote, the workers in the absentee ballot processing area will get started again at 8 a.m. tomorrow, end quote. Waller goes on to request arrangements for news crews hoping to get live shots of the counting the following day. Reach for comment via email. Waller said the email, quote, was in response to a question received asking when all workers would return, end quote. She did not respond to a a request to see the original email to which she was responding. Almost sounds like she might be lying. Another email obtained by Just the News, meanwhile, also points to more uncertainty regarding the timetable of ballot counting on election night. In a message sent at 11.15 p.m. that night, Fulton County Interagency Affairs Manager Fran Phillips Calhoun wrote to Waller and several other county staffers, FYI, the Secretary of State's office just sort of threw the team under the bus, stating that, quote, we had a great day, but we decided to throw in the towel for the night, even though the public is waiting on results. Phillips Calhoun did not specify what message from the Secretary of State's office she was referring to. The county worker did not respond to requests for comment. In addition to the unclear messaging coming from Fulton County officials on election night, the process that played out at State Farm Arena was further complicated by two sworn affidavits from ballot watchers whose testimonies, given under penalty of perjury, appear to confirm at least some controversial aspects of the news reports from that night. One, from Georgia Republican Party field organizer Michelle Branton, claimed that around 10.30 p.m., quote, A woman in the ballot processing room yelled to everyone to stop working and to return the next day at 8.30 a.m. Nearly all of the staff's workers departed the arena after that directive, Branton stated, leaving only a small number of workers behind, one of whom was Regina Waller. Another Georgia Republican Party ballot watcher, Mitchell Harrison, said in his sworn his own sworn testimony that he worked alongside Branton that night and also witnessed the woman dismiss workers, quote, sometime after 10 o'clock, end quote, after which, quote, all but four election employees left the arena. Both Branton and Harrison said they had been directed by a GOP supervisor to obtain the number of ballots scanned and the number remaining to be scanned. Both claimed to have asked Regina Waller for that information three separate times. Waller eventually told them to find the information on the state's website. Now, why would she have to have them do that? The two left State Farm Arena shortly after 1030 p.m. and said that sometime after returning to the Fulton County Board of Elections warehouse, they became aware that ballot counting was still continuing at the arena. Harrison said he and another worker eventually returned to the arena just before 1 a.m., upon which we were told counting had been going on, but had just ended in the last few minutes. That's a direct quote as well. 
And that's the end of the article. Again, what we see here is the political structure in Fulton County and in the state of Georgia directed by Brad Raffensperger, directed by Stacey Abrams and their associates. Blocking attempts to gain information about what actually happened that night. And of course, they've spent months blocking access to the actual ballots, although that will soon be coming to an end and it will be a beautiful one. I'm quite certain. But what they are referring to is, in fact, what the video we have from the arena that night shows. It shows a group of people, two of whom being Ruby Freeman and her daughter, pulling ballots from a suitcase hidden all day under a table and then processing all of these ballots. Okay, now this is Ruby Freeman's Instagram post from the following day or following days. Now, this is right after November 3rd. And these posts went up. We saw them. We saw the video. And then, of course, we were censored. But here it is, if you haven't gotten to this yet. And now this is from the Instagram account, Ruby Freeman underscore Georgia. I posted this on my Facebook page and wanted to share it with the Instagram community. I am so proud of my baby because today we did something that changed history and we decided we will not be silent and allow evil to control this country. I was shocked, hurt, and deeply upset to see how many people support evil, racism, and ignorance while counting many ballots for Donald Trump. I was almost in tears seeing how very few people wanted to support a black woman, well, I guess she means an Asian American woman become the first female vice president or an excellent man named Joe Biden while counting the ballots. So what she's saying here is that everyone was voting for Donald Trump and no one was voting for Biden. This is her actual accounting of what she was processing, the real votes. Thank God my baby had a plan. And today we put that plan in action after those Trump supporting and Fox News Though they won and left the building. I guess that must be thought they won and left the building. My baby knew how racist Georgia was and we knew how the vote was going to go. So we resorted to plan B and now you see the results of my brilliant baby. Joe Biden is now the winner and I'm looking at all of Georgia with a side eye because I know for a fact that Georgia voted for Trump by the largest numbers. And if we didn't do what we did, he would have won Georgia. I've seen and I noticed many black names who voted for Donald Trump. And that really bothers me because you're all the reason he won. Got it? She saw black people she knew voting for Donald Trump. She's saying in no uncertain terms that not only did Georgia vote for Trump, but black Georgia voted for Trump. My baby told me. It's going to be our own community who going to make Donald Trump win. And she was right because Donald Trump won. And it's very sad. I was nervous about plan B, but I'm glad we did it because it saved the country. And I will pray for forgiveness. If people find out what me and my baby did, we could be in a lot of trouble and possibly jail. So I'd like to ask everyone to delete all the pictures, videos, and live streams of me and the special ballots. And Think about how shockingly stupid this is, right? She doesn't want anyone to find out. So she announces exactly what she did and asks people to delete any records they have of what she did. Because, of course, she was posting what she did in the entire lead up to the election. I've watched the videos myself. She goes around the empty rooms, showing where the ballots are, showing the access she has to them. This isn't made up. Special ballots, isn't that interesting? The ones used are the special Joe Biden ballots that my baby created for us to win. They scanned excellent and increased Joe Biden numbers and helped him beat Donald Trump. I spoke to Dominion people and they said Plan B worked all across the country. Special thanks to Stacey Abrams, Keisha Lance Bottoms and Raphael Warnock. Don't worry, Raphael, you're going to beat that white bitch because we did it for you and Joe Biden better give us a pardon for it. Really? Isn't that incredible? She is saying straight up that she knows she committed a crime. 
She couldn't, she knows she committed a moral sin. She thinks it's justified because it helped get Donald Trump out of office. And she believes that even if she is caught, Joe Biden will give her a pardon because she did it for the party. She made a sacrifice for the Communist Party. And so Joe Biden should help her out. Ruby Freeman has been hard to track down, let's say, from back then. Sidney Powell is putting this out. Sidney Powell is working on election fraud. Are we to really believe that Sidney Powell doesn't know whether or not this Ruby Freeman thing happened? We have her confession. We have her videos. We have the video of the night in the arena that she did it. There were reports last year that she actually was arrested and in custody. But I don't think anybody's heard anything about that since. Although I feel like we're going to hear about it again soon. This is a poll worker who knew for a fact that Donald Trump won. And so she processed thousands upon thousands of fake illegal votes. And even the part where she was just processing them, the processing part was also illegal because they didn't have anybody in there watching it. And she knew that as well, which is why they kicked people out. Isn't it odd? Isn't it odd that the counting stopped in all the important states at the same time for the same reason? And that every place that happened yielded the same result by the same method. Isn't that really impressive? Gosh, how does something like that happen? Well, I don't know, but one thing I do know is that there is no widespread evidence of election fraud to anywhere that would overturn the results of the election. People who say that, remember, the people who say that are absolutely the same fucking people who think half of the people who get coronavirus go to the hospital. These are the dumbest people on earth. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And only really dumb communists believe they do. And Joe Biden will never be president. And only real dumb communists believe he is. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, 
You can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!